This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Michael Brandt DiMaria. Michael is a psychologist and multi-award winning composer. He has published and presented numerous papers on the role of creativity, spirituality, and play in the healing process. He's the author of Ever Flowing On and a book of poetry, Moments. His new album, With Sounds True, is called In the Flow, Music for Emotional Healing, and contains some of Michael's favorite compositions based on their restorative and healing qualities. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Michael and I spoke about the river as a metaphor for life. We also talked about how the Native American flute can facilitate our ability to move through grief, and how we ourselves can flow like water through difficult times of transition. We also have the chance to listen to three songs off of Michael's new record, In the Flow, and talk about the restorative and healing qualities of these songs. Here's my conversation with Michael Brandt DiMaria. Michael, I read on your website this quote, Creativity saved my life. Can you explain that? What do you mean by that? How did creativity save your life? Oh, that's a great question, Tammy. Um, creativity for me is inherently healing. And uh, what I mean by that is that the process itself somehow brings us into alignment with something greater. You know, one way I like to think of it is that what is creator doing all the time? I mean, creator is creating. That's, that's what creator does. And so when we create, somehow we are putting ourselves in alignment with that creative infinity of the universe. And for me, uh, that, that was something that was a tangible reality. It wasn't just pretty words. It was literally a palpable experience. Um, and a number of times in my life, going back to the time I was six, and then at each crossroad in my life, I can see that, that when I was most broken, you know, most defeated, that creativity healed me, uh, brought me back to life. And so I mean those words very literally. I'd be curious, I mean, you talked about at age six and then different crossroads in your life. What was happening that your life was at risk, that it needed to be saved? Well, probably the most vivid example, which actually uh, refers to one of the songs on this album, after Hurricane Ivan in 2005, uh, we lost our home, and I was uh, very uh, emotionally broken. And to be honest, I had become very depressed. And I even say, I kind of one thing I like to say is, I lost my smile. Not only that, but my my practice was in disarray. I had had uh, knee surgery and thrown out my back. I didn't work for almost three months, and uh, our insurance company for our home went bankrupt. Wow. 
really, it, it was a dark night of the soul. And there have been times in my life that I have, you know, contemplated not being, you know, literally that getting to that point where it's like, is my life even meaningful? Can I go forward? Which is particularly humbling when you've spent your life as uh, on a spiritual path and, and feel pretty strong about that. Uh, but I always like to say when you're feeling like killing yourself, usually if you can do so without, without causing bodily harm, that's a good thing. Um, because really what we need is an ego side and not a suicide. Mm -hmm. But that identity, that those things in my life that I had become identified with, my role as psychologist, my role as a vision quest guide, my role as uh, a, you know, having this home, uh, my daughter was going off to college. I felt like this whole chapter of my life was, was ending. And I'd go out to the ocean that I live close to, the Gulf of Mexico, and, you know, it was an opportunity for me to try to make peace because also the ocean wasn't a safe place anymore. Here was this ocean that had always brought me peace and tranquility and it had taken away my home. And it was a very, very odd feeling of actually that which had brought me so much peace looked ominous and scary. But one night I had I'd gone out to the, the Gulf and it was a full moon and the full moon was just shimmering on the water. And as I often do, I, I brought one of my flutes with me. And my flutes over the last 17 years have been an incredible part of my own healing. And I began playing a song. And that song, you know, like I like to say, brought me back to life. And it's then became the song Moonlit Sea. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say the song brought you back to life, what happened? It's like a light uh, kind of goes off inside somewhere deep down, and I realized that I'm, I was more than all of these things I was identifying with that were uh, dissolving, all those things that were uh, becoming disassembled, um, all the identities that I had taken myself to be. And even though I had, you know, practiced Vipassana meditation since I was 18, you forget those things when you, you really are meeting a lot of dissolution in your life. And so the song and the, the literal light, the moonlight shimmering off that ocean in the middle of the night, just like that light for the moon was like a light that was all of a sudden radiating inside about that something more than me that had to do with any of that. For me, music in particular is, is such a wonderful reminder of that which goes beyond the, uh, uh, the physical. It's, it's the most uh, unseen art. You know, we, we, don't, we can't see music, and yet it touches like us like nothing else. And to me, it reminds us that our lives are, are like a song, you know, that, that they have a beginning and a middle and an end, and they take us on a journey. And you can't, you know, a song never really lives, uh, you know, in abstraction, it lives note to note. And the goal is not to get to the end of the song, but experience every note. And there was something about that, that process of playing, particularly at that moment, and looking at the moon on the water, that that brought me 
that brought me peace, that brought me a feeling of tranquility, that began that healing process once again. And, and in particular, these native flutes, for me, have a bittersweet quality to them, and, and they have helped me at different points in my life grieve. So also what it was doing was helping me grieve and helping me uh, let go and release uh, the pain and, and, and let it flow. And so I could get to the peace and the love and, and healing energy beneath that. In just a moment, we'll hear some of this song, Moonlit Sea. But I want to ask you another question, Michael, and, and I think you're someone who could help point out the answer to this. And it's very curious to me, which is that it seems that some people are just built in such a way that they have a kind of intensity about them that they can make a comment like creativity saved my life or a certain kind of spiritual practice saved my life or that they are aware of the fact that they can get to an edge that is so dark that they actually need something to save their life Mm. and that other people just aren't really built that way. Their life doesn't ever really get to that edge or at least they would never articulate it quite like that. And I'm curious what you have to say about that. Oh, I think there's a lot of truth to that, Tammy, and, and it's something that to me goes to the root of some of the missing pieces in our culture. You know, we live in a very egocentric culture. We don't live in a soul-centric culture. And what I often see, and, and I include myself in, in, in this, is the understanding of those of us who uh, are more what may be called an intuitive feeler or a uh, highly sensitive person, a person who uh, feels things particularly deeply. And, you know, in our culture, at least in our culture, um, everybody has this deep down, but there tends to be a minority that stay in touch with that as adults. You know, we're all there as children. But the ego is a kind of an armoring around that sensitivity of the soul and openness and interconnection of the soul. And so people who tend to be a bit more grounded there have, you know, don't tend to get to that place. But part of that in traditional culture, which when I say traditional culture, indigenous cultures that were more soul-centric, these, these qualities of the soul of deep feeling, deep interconnection, sensitivity were actually supported and understood. In fact, those were often signs of a, a healer, an artist, a visionary. Um, and those, you know, of course, everyone to me in indigenous culture also honored that everybody at some level was a musician, an artist, and healer. But there were those who were, you know, perhaps uh, more designed that way. You know, what I like to think about is a particular person's soul print. You know, we each have that individual, unique uh, soul print, kind of like how an acorn becomes an oak tree. You know, no matter where you plant that acorn anywhere on the planet, it's going to become an oak tree. And so people who are more in touch with that or maybe not as defended from that or have a deeper sensitivity to that, there are these transition points, these dark night of the souls that not only are um, uh, predictable but, but essential to our unfolding in, in becoming whole, or we like to call the journey towards wholeness, or what Carl Jung called individuation, that that process requires this, almost like a snake shedding its skin, skin these periodic times where we 
reach these edges and and we have to uh, dissolve to then move to the next stage um, kind of like the caterpillar becoming the butterfly we go into these cocooning periods that that feel very dark and we feel like everything we know about ourselves is dissolving but when we can give over to that then the opportunity to have transformation and, and emerging as a complete different being and a butterfly on the other side is 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 tremendous so to me it's it's not a sign of pathology it's actually a sign of a gift mm -hmm. we'll listen now to the song moonlit sea which is track seven from michael brandt de maria's new record with sounds true in the flow
You mentioned in introducing this song, Moonlit Sea, the connection between the Native American flute and grief moving through. And I'm wondering if you can say a little bit more about that. What is it about specifically the Native American flute that facilitates that? I could certainly hear it in the song. Another good question, Tammy. I, when I first heard the Native American flute, literally tears came to my eyes 17 years ago. And there's a Native American saying, the soul would have no rainbow if the eyes had no tears. The soul would have no rainbow if the eyes had no tears. This is a culture that see tears as strength, as uh, courage, as the origin of compassion and wisdom. There's another Native American saying that says, you know, don't trust anyone until their heart has been broken (laughs) because that is the origin of compassion. And over the years, uh, even the vision quest practice, uh, the the actual uh, term in in some of the Native languages like Lakota is hemlachiape, which means the lamentation. Vision Quest is a term British anthropologists use to describe what they saw going on. But the lament is, 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 is key to the, to the Native American practice of finding your vision for your life, that one goes into the wilderness to fast and cry for a vision. So their understanding of grief is actually like a river flowing through your heart. And... For you to open to that is what opens you to a sense of kinship in the natural world, to feel your your full membership in the natural world and and to know and experience your true belonging here on the planet. One of my teachers used to say, you know, if grief could make a sound, you couldn't hear anything else. I think that's a real adequate kind of expression. So there's something about these, the particular pentatonic scale that most of these instruments are keyed to are our minor scale, which minor scales in and of themselves have this kind of lamentation. But there's also kind of a, a, a joy, a, like I said, a bittersweetness that is there too, that just like when the river flows, there's also an exhilaration and an openness. And, you know, you know, if you don't cry all your tears, you're not going to experience all of your joy either. Now, water, tears, the river, the ocean, it seems that the element of water is key for you personally, and also in terms of creating music that has this movement like water, music for emotional healing, which is the subtitle of the record in the flow. Can you talk a little bit about that, the relationship between your music and water? Yes, I'd love to because it is central and it's central to my life. Water is the central element that has figured in my own transformation and initiation in my spiritual path, as well as its archetypal. You find indigenous cultures around the planet, from Native America to Africa to Aboriginal Australia, that water is a pan-cultural image of healing 
And you can think of this in a very simple way when you think of even cleansing a wound, you know, using water to clean the wound and heal the wound. You can also begin to see that water is such an incredible uh, dissolver of things that need dissolving. In addition to that, what, what fascinates me about water as well is that it's very similar to music and it's similar to emotion. There's something about music and emotion and water that are connected for me. They all flow. They all move in waves. You know, really understand emotion. Feelings move in waves. Uh, sound moves in waves. And water moves in waves. So there's a liquidity and fluidity that we find in sound and water. And I think one of the difficulties with emotions in our culture, of course, our culture tends to always turn verbs into nouns, but in particular, when we create and see emotions as things, as opposed to process, as something unfolding and moving. And so oftentimes emotional wounding is, is things get solidified and emotions get harbored into something solid and to actually get them to flow and move and shift and transform is where the healing happens. So for me, water is, is such an inspiration creatively as an artist, but also as a healer and as a therapist and as a musician. And so for me, I'm really trying to help people feel supported when, as they begin to dissolve these hard emotions or emotions that have gotten uh, stopped up or you can kind of a log jam of the heart, you know, to get things flowing again, to move again is where the healing comes from. And so water, water is, is literally a friend to me. I mean, I, and this is an indigenous practice sees water as also the transition element between the spiritual and physical world. And that they see it as a living being, as a presence that you should talk to, that you should connect to, and see as a, as a very uh, mysterious presence on the, on the planet. And for me, even when I, you know, even when I uh, take a shower, I'm, you know, talking to the water. And I encourage our listeners out there, I mean, really begin to see how, how amazing water is. If you really look at it, I worked as a child therapist for many, many years, and the number one choice when you give children a choice to play with any kind of uh, toy or anything in a play therapy room uh, at almost any age but in particular the younger children water is the number one thing they'll go to there is something so magical about water and even scientists can't quite tell you what water is and why it behaves the way it does and it's it really is mystical and, and very magical even at a scientific level the way it the way it moves in the world. And we are water. We are two-thirds water, which is a perfect mirroring of our, you know, precious, amazing earth, which is also made up of two-thirds water. I remember reading on the liner notes of one of your records, perhaps we should call our planet water instead of earth, since it's made up more of water. And I never had that thought before. I thought that was a beautiful idea. Yes, actually, uh, that image of um, that what a mistake to call this planet Earth when it is so clearly ocean. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm curious, when you compose your pieces, when you create the music that you create, how you bring water in 
to the actual compositions, meaning I understand everything you're saying about water helping our emotions flow, the experience of sitting by a river or by a waterfall, and, and the how do you bring that into your music? I think you do it very successfully. What's happening for you, though, from a process perspective? It's, it's uh, very simple in some ways, and at the same time, I think it's very profound that for me, I love to improvise, number one, and I try to record a lot of my improvisations. And even though I, I grew up playing keyboards and percussion, I there's two understandings of the word rhythm. One is the Western musical definition, which is a you know a uh, a metered a, a metered sound, a, a ongoing. Uh, syncopated metered sound that's in a very almost a clock-like relationship you know that's that's very individual and very logical and very analytic the other meaning of rhythm is much older and much deeper um, it e even comes from the same word uh, rhythmus from uh, rhine which also means river or to flow literally means to flow so this deeper kind of rhythm we mean is the rhythm that you might find, you, you find in nature. If you listen to a river or watch a river, you'll notice water never makes an aesthetic mistake. You know, the way it moves and flows is, is extraordinary. But certain bends of a river, they'll, you know, just like the wind flowing or the water flowing, that there is a rhythm to it, but it's, it's not measured by clock time. It's not measured by a metronome. So for me, it's real important when I play, and people notice this, that you know, most of my compositions have a real, uh, I want to play like the wind blows and the water flows. I'm really listening to something very deep, and I'm, I'm really wanting to become and experience myself and the music as part of nature, to really allow something to flow through me. A native understanding, and again, you find this in indigenous cultures in the Americas, in Africa, in, in Asia, in, in Australia. They believe the music is all around us, like nature, and the musician's job is to be a channel for that, and and to become, you know, like a flake of glass through which light passes. Which actually is a John Muir quote that you 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 know. Many times I feel it's more like I'm being played than I'm playing. And so it's real important for me to allow this flowing to have its natural course. I'm not worried about, you know, I, I never compose or play to a metronome. I never compose based upon musical notation. It's out of the organic process of improvising. And, I'm, I, and then I build from those improvisations uh, particular compositions within a theme of whatever I'm working on. But it really comes down to this, this real organic understanding of the, the most uh, innate sense of flow and rhythm and not metered by some kind of external uh, metronome. Mm -hmm. Now, I noticed that you also teach a workshop. So now moving from your life as a musician to your, you have so many lives. You're live here as a, a teacher, lecturer, workshop leader called Flow Like Water, Finding Your Way Through Crisis, Trauma, and Transition. And you told us a little bit about your own experience with Hurricane Ivan. 
But I'm curious, in that workshop, what are the key ideas that you offer to people, the key you know, helpful tools so that people can flow like water through difficult periods of their life? Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that's beautifully put. I do a lot of, I incorporate sound in movement in most of my workshops because I really want people to move from this more left brain, analytic, strategic, logical, uh, ego-based consciousness to trusting the more spatial, creative, right brain, uh, embodied, uh, fluid um, way of moving through the world, which we all have within us. We all have access to, sometimes a little bit harder for some than others to get there. So a lot of what we do is I like to really help people begin to see that each moment is a note in the song of today. I'll say that again. To really begin to see and experience each moment of their life and their day as a note in a song of today. That you know, you you can only experience a song note by note and to really live well and live properly is to experience each moment, you know, one by one, really fully and really lovingly and compassionately as possible. So there's a lot of practices for meditation, you know, working on stepping back from the contents of one's mind, you know, I'm not my thoughts, my thoughts are not reality, you know, allowing those to pass by, dropping into being a more present, centered focus. It also, though, means to... uh, I teach versions of um, very easy, accessible Qigong movements, Tai Chi movements, um, and also different kinds of things that people can do with sound, just simply making sounds with their voice that aren't words, trying to get out of the head and drop into the heart, into the body. So the idea that everybody can improvise, and we are all improvising, and life is a grand improvisation, And if we take water as our cue, water as our guide, water as our teacher, and flow like water, we can live much more free, more liberated, more peaceful lives, which also means dropping out of some of the unhealthy or even toxic narratives that we are constantly playing in our minds. You know, like to say, you know, typically the average person has 60,000 thoughts a day and 80 to 90% of them are the same as we had yesterday. And so to allow people to be present, but also to learn to move and flow with flexibility. And that means also flexibility towards their ideas about themselves, others, and reality. To really also allow those to become more fluid and dissolved and not as rigid. So, and helping people become more comfortable with uncertainty because we have more and more uncertainty in our lives. But it's so clear that the sign of emotional and spiritual maturity is the ability to live with uncertainty in in a more peaceful, uh, robust, aware way. Now, of course, Michael, what you're saying, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that most people probably have the experience that they can flow through most of their days. But then there are times, times when we get quite stuck, quite frozen, and we 
feel that this flowing river, it's not us. We're more like a uh, frozen piece of ice. Mm. What do you suggest in those moments? And I know this is a general question. We're not bringing up any one specific person's situation. But I'm sure you've worked with so many people who have come to you in frozen states of being. Absolutely, Tammy. And, you know, I'm no stranger to them myself that, you know, when the river stops flowing or we have become congealed, retracted, rigid for fear of uh, further pain, there's a, there's, there's a number of ways of beginning to work with that. And, and the most important thing for me is, is helping people really begin to feel safe we become rigid and we become retracted and we become frozen when we are in fear and, and we feel stuck and we're, we're at a level of pain and we feel like we can't endure anymore, so we retract. But I like to, an image I often use with, I loved your use of the metaphor, you know, frozen, that, you know, a lot of times we do freeze and, and you can think of water freezing and I, you know, like to tell people, well, what, you know, why is it that we freeze something? You know, why do we put something in the freezer? It's usually something very precious that we want to not go bad, that we don't want it to, you know, deteriorate. We don't want it to spoil. So oftentimes, you know, what we do is we put our, our hearts in a freezer, you know, because, you know, it's actually self-protective. But what happens, though, is that, and, and you know, actually, sometimes when I've worked with people who've been abused as children, there were times for them to actually pull back and, and not allow themselves to be vulnerable around people that would take advantage of that. But what may have been appropriate at different points in our, points in our life and actually effective and productive can actually get in the way at, at other points in our lives where it we are not in that same place and people around us are more trustworthy than they maybe were when we were 10 or 15 or whenever we may have been traumatized. So helping people feel safe. Um, I, I use a lot of sound healing techniques in my work, um, both in workshops and, and individually and trying to help what's so beautiful about some of these really deep sounds are, helping people begin to drop out of their minds and the kind of fearful-based narratives they're telling themselves, bringing them into the moment, helping them begin to relax, begin to release, and also begin to literally melt that ice. So the warmth that comes from uh, safety, it also comes from compassion, just the warming of the heart. Uh, I like to say, so many people try to quiet the mind today without warming the heart. What I found to be true over and over again is that a warm heart creates a peaceful mind. And sometimes to deal with the emotions first, then the thoughts actually can sometimes simply dissolve or melt away. So helping people connect to something that they can really connect to around that's loving in their life. Um, and I, I'm reminded of a story Tikhok Nan tells about, you know, when he was in Vietnam after, during the war and there was a woman who lost everything and, you know, her own family, her own home, and she was carrying an orphaned uh, child in her arms. And, and she said to Tikhok Nan, you know, I, I have lost everything and I have no faith and I don't know how to go on. I'm, 
I'm in such pain and I have no more belief in God or anything. You know, what do I do? And he simply said, is there anything in this world that you love? And she said, yes, I, I love this child in my arms. And he said, then just love that child and that will be your meditation and that will be your practice and that will be your religion is just to love that child in your arms. And what I love about that is to me, we all have a wounded child in our arms that needs our love, that is asking for our love. And that is where the flow comes from, that, that the real river that flows through our hearts is the river of love. And I mean a divine love, a love that, you know, as Dante would say, moves the sun and all the other stars. It's not just a human love. It's a, it's a, it's a love, this in the flow of this album, to me, it's, it's the flow of this love that can heal the deepest wound and calm the greatest fear. Very beautiful. Thank you. I would love if you would introduce this next song that I'd like us to listen to from In the Flow, Music for Emotional Healing. It's called First Light. Maybe tell us just a little bit about how this song came into being. Oh, I, I, I love to, Tammy. This is a real personal favorite. First Light, the inspiration for it. In fact, it's a good segue because First light is about that twilight moment where the light is just shifting very early in the day. And for me, in that really quiet time, if you really listen, and, and to me, part of my life as a musician is to really be a listener. And I think we can all work on listening more deeply. We're like, in, in fact, a lot of my workshops, we do deep listening exercises because I like people to begin to hear what's beneath the silence, that there's literally a sound. Be really, in, and you may have heard this, like, and particularly if you're in a, in a desert or someplace that's particularly quiet, and, and, and you often can really touch it if, you know, in, in the early morning twilight. And I like to call that sound the hum of God. And I remember hearing it when I was six and, and doing my own healing at the family piano um, from surgery I went through, that it's this, it's, it's like a very supportive uh, hum. And for First Light, I really wanted to try, and I, and I don't share this that often, that I was really trying to get to the sound that I hear deep inside myself in the deepest level of silence. And it's a sign of also the songs about the first light as, as the flute continues to play. It's as if the sun is rising. And, and, and that's also the rising of hope. That's the rising of, of dawn. That's the rising of the love we're talking about that begins to flow more fully through our hearts. So I really, I spent months trying to get that sound just right. And I'm really big in a lot of my tracks. You, you probably know this with these drone sounds. A drone sound is that consistent, constant background sound. And why that's so important to me is that in my meditation practice and teaching meditation, to try to help people attend to that deep sound in and of itself is tremendously grounding and healing. And that's the inspiration for First Light. Now you said that this inspiration was something that you traced back to when you were six years old, recovering from surgery at the piano. Can you just tell us about that before we hear this piece of music? 
By all means, Tammy, I'd had abdominal surgery and I was a very sensitive child, as I mentioned, and I was feeling very disconnected. I was feeling disconnected from my family, from my friends, from my body. And it was always amazing to me that we had a piece of furniture in our living room that made sound. And I'd go to the piano and I found that when I hit one note at a time and I'd hit it and I would just love to hear that one note just arise and slowly dissipate. And what I really loved to do was catch that moment where the sound just dissolved into silence. And as I did, there was this other, that's when I would hear this, what I call the hum of God. And that really brought me a tremendous amount of peace, almost like I was being wrapped in a sonic blanket. And it was very, and I realized now I was self-soothing. In a way, I was putting myself into a trance and meditating. Um, and I would wait until I could hear that till I hit the piano again, another note. Of course, my, my parents just thought I was artistic at the time, but I really, it was a, it was a meditative practice that I was doing. And it was, so I really like to use a lot of spaciousness in my, in my compositions to try to help bring that ground of silence to the fore. Here's First Light from the record In the Flow, Music for Emotional Healing from Michael Brandt Di Maria. Let's listen.
Very, very beautiful. Thank you, Tammy. Now, it's interesting to me, Michael, and I'm sure this is a question you've been asked before, that here you are, you're a very talented musician and composer, also as we discussed, a, a workshop leader and lecturer, PhD clinical psychologist working as a play therapist and expressive arts therapist. You're also a vision quest guide, taking people on vision quests, also a poet and a painter and a writer. And I'm curious if this all ever feels confusing to you to have so many different ways of expression, if it integrates naturally, beautifully into a whole cloth, if there was a journey to find that integration, or what that's like for you. Yes, I have been asked that question before, Tammy, and it's, uh, it, it is interesting because for me, it's just the most natural thing in the world. Um, in some ways, it's, I have a very demanding muse um, inside. I also, though, uh, for me, what's very interesting is uh, it all does seem to be one thing for me that, you know, this idea of tapping into this flow we're talking about it's simply the many different forms of the same thing, the, the same flow. You know, very much my uh, my poetry and my painting is is about expressing this flow just in a different medium. And they actually inform each other. I actually am a, a strong believer in what I call uh, art, art rotation. You've heard of crop rotation? You know, we're doing one thing, planting just cotton depletes the nitrogen from the soil, and after a while you can't plant anything else. So you... You know, if you have to plant soybeans for a few years that then replenish the soil. Well, for me, it's, it's kind of a, a spiraling, uh, unfolding. I certainly, part of my journey has been, I'm very influenced by Jungian psychology and, and psychosynthesis by Roberto Saggioli. So I have a real honoring of the journey, what I like to call the journey towards wholeness. You know, to me, it's, it's not about being you know, perfect. It's about being whole. And, and I really am on a journey of trying to, to, you know, experience the fullness of what this life has to offer in, in, in each moment and try to trust the flow, the inspiration. For me, the journey is, is, is flowing down a river we've never been down before. It's not climbing a mountain. It's not building a building. That there is a, there is a flow, a natural flow to this river. And, and I think we've really forgotten the wisdom of the river. And what I mean by that is that in our very patriarchal, linear uh, understanding of the world, you know, and even the way we deal with the stock market and everything else, it's always like climbing a mountain. Things should just get bigger and bigger and better and better and ascend, ascend. The river flows down and it also twists and turns. So for me, when my life is twisting and turning, I know that's, that's a much more natural process and that I'm trying to trust my own unfolding, um, to, to live my life as a river flows as much as possible. So as long as I stay out of my head, it, it feels perfectly natural. Sometimes it's when I step back or other people, you know, say, isn't that confusing? I'll say, wow, I guess, yeah, if I looked at it that way. But it, it really does feel like the most natural thing in the world for me. I wonder if it's also maybe just a product of our time and our culture that we think people need to specialize so that they'll be more financially successful in one arena or something like that. Absolutely. And in fact, even our, our movement of uh, 
scientific research, you know, we have more and more specialization about things that are smaller and smaller and maybe less related, less holistic, more organic. And, and there is, I certainly have a bit of that mission of helping people uh, move out of that, that, you know, you know, the idea of interconnecting and generalizing that there's something much more precious than just specialization. I have a lot, a lot of people I work with nowadays. Uh, I, I basically limit my practice to adults in transition now, even though I, I worked for a decade and a half with children, which to me was an apprenticeship now for working with the child within adults. I have a, many doctors, lawyers, CEO, CEOs, executives, uh, from all kinds of walks of life who have lost touch with their, their heart, with their soul. And bringing that back often is helping them recreate or reconnect with a part of their creative life they've left behind. So to me that, you know, oftentimes when people realize that what money can't do, what success can't do is, is touch your heart, open your heart, uh, help you feel more interconnected and that you belong on the planet. And that's something that immersion in nature and creativity both share in common. And I was going to mention immersion in nature is very similar to me to creativity because nature is creator's art. And so when we are immersing ourselves in God's art or creator's art, we are also putting ourselves in that same alignment that we do when we are creative ourselves. So I say my, my holy trinity is nature, creativity, and spirituality. And those things weave together over and over again, I find in my own life. And I really encourage that with others, that even if they don't have a creative outlet they feel right now, go lay down on the grass and look at the sky and just really immerse yourself in the natural setting or the natural world for a while. It is tremendously healing. Like creativity, nature is inherently healing. Michael, I just have two more questions for you. Here's the first one. The organization that you've founded called Antos has this very interesting motto, and I really liked it, so I want to say it out loud and then have you comment on it. Be who you are on the journey to becoming who you may be. Yes, I, it's something that uh, is, goes to the very core of you know, my life mission and what I found myself. Uh, over and over again coming to, because I really, I, I have uh, two sides of my path and my journey has been, you know, very much, uh, I've been practicing, like I mentioned, meditation since I was 17 or 18, but I've also been an artist in my life. And to me, what's beautiful about this idea of being who you are on the journey to becoming who you may be is that Oftentimes, you know, and today, you know, people either overemphasize just the moment or just the journey. And to me, the way they come together, I often like to think of the, the drop of water in the river. That, that drop of water has to make its journey all the way down the river and go through the rapids and go over the waterfalls and be tossed and turned. And it can feel very, you know, scary to that one drop of water. And this is I'm anthropomorphizing and personifying. But if that drop of water can remember its life as the ocean, you know, and have that sense of peace and eat every moment, but also to know you have to take the journey too, that we are on this journey and wherever it may take us or wherever it may go, 
that we can have peace by really honoring each moment, again, enjoying each note in the song of today, to enjoy every uh, note of a song, but also know that we are heading somewhere in unfolding and evolving in, in different ways, at least in this particular lifetime. It's that, it's that acorn becoming the oak tree, that each step along its way of being a, a sapling and you know, then growing a little bit larger, a little bit bigger, that by really attending to this moment is the best way to take care of your whole unfolding, but also knowing that this moment is constantly giving away to some other kind of growth. And today you may be a caterpillar, but tomorrow you may be a butterfly. And so in this moment, by being who you are, is also honoring that who you are is in flux, is fluid, is unfolding and shifting and changing and on a journey. So to not rigidly hold on to who you are while you are also accepting who you are in this moment. And so it's this beautiful, amazing, wonderful paradox of, of accepting and letting go and, and the organic understanding of unfolding. I absolutely love this saying, be who you are on the journey to becoming who you may be. And I want to end our conversation, Michael, by playing an excerpt from the very first song of In the Flow, Music for Emotional Healing. It's called The River, and we've talked some about this image of the river being a central metaphor for you, for both your own life and also the music that you create and its emotional healing impact. Tell us just a little bit about how this song came into being and what this song means to you. I'd be happy to, Tammy. The River is a very special track for me. It's one of those moments when everything just came together. You know, it's, it's not often as a musician that everything for a song goes on just the, the first take. And there was something about this track, which is the title track, uh, the first track on In the Flow. And it is about really uh, the beauty and power and magic of the river. You know, the rivers are literally the arteries of this planet. And they nurture everything on its way. And when I mentioned earlier about the river that flows through our hearts, you know, that, that to me, love that flows through our hearts, that is healing, is similar to the water that flows through the earth. And the river is such a wonderful metaphor of our lives that they twist and turn. And, you know, first we think we're going west. No, we're going east. And then a few years later, no, I'm going west again. You go, no, I'm going east. And a few decades down the line, you realize, I'm not going east or west, I'm, I'm going south. And that there's a kind of beautiful uh, fractal unfolding to a river that follows an innate wisdom that's different from what we think of in Western culture about trying to something like climbing a, a mountain. I think it's a metaphor for the life journey that really you know, is desperately needed today in our culture. And so this particular track is, is near and dear to my heart and, and 
has a lot to do with a tremendous sense of hope and joy as we feel the river of life flowing through us and that we are part and parcel of this beautiful planet and of each other and that the river that flows through our hearts connects us all. And that's really the inspiration and background to this song, The River. Let's listen. That was an excerpt from The River, from In the Flow, music for emotional healing. We also heard during this episode of Insights at the Edge an excerpt from First Light and Moonlit Sea, three pieces from this new record by Michael Brandt DiMaria, 
In the Flow, available through Sounds True. Michael, thank you so much for talking with us and sharing so much of your poetic soul. Thank you. Thank you, Tammy. It was a joy. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thank you.